You know, it's, today's like one of those days, several days, like I just don't want the music to end. It's like we just got started. All right, we're going to go into the second set, right? Like that's, that's kind of how this, this was for me today. And um, I would just like to, just to stop and, uh, and really just to maybe spend just a moment of kind of clearing our minds and our hearts so that we would receive something that, that I know that all of us need to receive. It's, it's really had kind of the trickle-down effect into my heart. For, for really several weeks as I've been studying this material. And man, if we get this right, uh, this, this will lend like so well to your life. This will help you in so many areas of your life, in your relationships, and in the way that you spend your money, the way that, that you kind of govern your marriage, and really the, the way that you even look at the overall scope of your life. So um, it's not a matter of my words. It's a matter of God's word. But let's just ask him to prepare our hearts for it. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do come to you today, and I just thank you that you are so good, that you are the good, good father, that you are the, the lion and the lamb. And God, there's so much victory that's found in your name, and I pray that you would just stir a victory up in our hearts today, stir affections for us today, stir us up to, to receive your mighty good word today. Allow us to relieve that maybe some burdens or some clutters, even right now in this moment, before we get into your word. And God, as you're just kind of cultivating the ground of our heart and our mind so that we would receive what it is that we need to receive. And we just trust, Lord Jesus, that you're going to do just that. Amen. Amen. Well, of course, we've been in this series for a little while now, and this is week eight, which is crazy. Um, We only have one more week after this, um, so you're not going to hear the chomping anymore. I'm not going to talk about Lay's potato chips anymore and just the sound of that, uh, of what it sounds like when he's eating the elephant uh, in the video. But um, just in case you have missed some of this or maybe you were um, just maybe haven't been here, um, just kind of catch you up just a little bit. What we're talking about is how to eat an elephant. We, we know that spiritual growth is something that's, it, it's a process. It's not just something that just happens, but like, boom, automatically, if you commit your life to Christ, then your life is all figured out, and now everything else goes well. So there's some thir- certain things that we have to do to have our life more conformed to the life that Jesus talks about. So we call those things spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines. So we've talked week by week about some private disciplines, and then also some public disciplines or corporate disciplines, things that we ought to do, some practices that we ought to do. And all of these really are just kind of rounded out in these two ideas that spiritual formation is training ourselves for godliness. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're training yourself for godliness. And that's what it says in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. And at the same time, we're training ourselves or allowing God to train us to renounce ungodliness. So there's some things that we ought to do. There's some things we ought not to do. And that, of course, is in Titus 2.12. Now, particular to this message goes right along with this um, into the idea of spiritual formation. We're going to see that there's kind of an overarching idea that is mentioned kind of throughout the scripture. And the people of God are known to be worshipers. The people of God, Old Testament and New Testament, what I'm going to talk about today, I'm just going to really kind of camp out a little bit in, in just for a moment in the New Testament and talk about one of the teachings of Jesus, really an interaction that he had with a woman uh, in John 4. And then I'm also going to 
cover into and really dig more deeply into one of the Psalms. And what we're going to see, no matter what book of the Bible that you find yourself kind of digging into or studying, you're going to see that the people of God are meant to live out in accordance with what God says. And the people of God are supposed to be living for the glory of God. That's what they're supposed to do. And one of the most profound things I think in the scriptures is when an individual by the name of Moses has this experience with the glory of God. Now, he, he can't even stand in the presence of God. Like the presence of God is there and he's just like, and, and like the, the voice of God comes to him and he says, take your sandals off because where you're standing is holy ground. And I'm sure his teeth were chattering. It's like, ah, oh, like this is just like an awe-inspiring thing. But here's, here's the way my mind works. And I'm kind of creative like this. Like I know the eclipse and all that's going on tomorrow but I just wonder if he had these babies on I wonder if he could have been there like I totally can't see you that means these are good I guess like I wonder if he had these things on I wonder if he could have like stood there and like experienced the glory of God you think so yay or nay yay no he would have been toast either way right he doesn't need some cardboard glasses it's like there was just something about that experience with God and I believe that we can have an experience or experiences with God Honestly, that, that may not, that it may seem a little odd to you, but I think that they can be just as profound in our lives as that was in Moses' life in Exodus 3. I believe that if we understand that a Christian, and this is what it says in Colossians, that everything that a Christian ought to, to eat, drink, or to do is to be done to the, what is the next phrase? Does anyone know? To the glory of God. Colossians 3.23. That's what we're supposed to do. And a Christian lives to the glory of God in worship of God. Not, not to prop ourselves up, not to prop up a name of a church, um, not because of us at all. But a Christian, the reason why, maybe the reason why if you're a, a non-Christian or maybe you've been part of a church and kind of left the church and now you're coming back. Maybe the reason why that becomes, maybe the reason why you left is because you kind of find that weird that a Christian is supposed to live for the glory of God. And quite honestly, Christians, the reason why we need these two principles that you see on the screen is Christians don't get this right. Um, Christians, a lot of times they don't understand that we're training ourselves for, for godliness or to be godly. And while we're doing that, we're also training ourselves to, to uh, renounce or push away ungodliness. And Christians get this wrong. So if you have come back to church after a while and, and maybe the reason why you left is because you thought some Christians were kind of hypocritical. They said one thing and lived another. I just want you to know we're all imperfect people. We're going to mess up here. But, but we're all in, in a path and process that we believe that we're supposed to live for the glory of God. And we do it imperfectly. We welcome you here to do that with us imperfectly um, as we are on this quest together. Now, I, I love the idea about the, uh, the eclipse and all that. Anybody have any plans going on? Anything with the eclipse? Anyone? 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 Anyone's plans get blown up because their kids uh, are not going to be in school because of the eclipse? And now all of a sudden you had to make other plans? Um, they kind of made that shift at, my, at G's school. Kind of made that midway. Says, hey, we're going to do this. Just kidding. We're actually going to do this. The kids are getting out of school. So now you, we're on parenting duty, which is good. Um, I have my glasses. So uh, just so you know, don't stare at the sun. Okay, I just feel like I have to tell you that in love. Don't stare at the sun unless you have these glasses on. Some people are going to put on some Ray-Bans or some Costas or something and look at the sun. Be like, I don't know. What happened to my eyes? All I see is these little black specks. I know. But your pastor's telling you, please don't stare at the sun unless you have the right glasses or welding goggles. And of which, if you're going to do that, I need a picture because I'm going to use that as leverage against you sometime in the future. Um, but, but really one of the big ideas for us this morning is this. We shield the glory of God when we eclipse our true worship of God. 
We shield the glory of God from our life when we eclipse the true worship of God. So there's some certain things that we, we ought to do and some certain things we ought to push away from because in the midst of that, if, if we're not training ourselves for godliness and training ourselves to renounce ungodliness, we won't be living for the glory of God. We'll be living for the glory of self. And when we do that, we're living for the glory of our family or glory of our finances or the glory of our emotions or the glory of our intellect. We're going to see all that in these passages today. But if we get it wrong, we're going to shield the glory of God And when we shield the glory of God, we eclipse the true worship of God. And the people of God, people who have committed their life to Christ, people who are true followers of Christ, people who are dying to themselves daily, is what it says in in Luke 9, 23, that we ought to be dying to ourselves daily, not propping ourselves up, but living for the glory of God. But we shield the glory of God when we eclipse the true worship of God. So that's what we're going to see today. And I just have a couple ideas to kind of put out there. Um, talking about eclipsing the true worship of God. Activity is the enemy of, of adoration or worship or activity. Sometimes we can do spiritual things that honestly has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with us. There's certain things that we can do. We can get caught up in activities, some good, maybe religious activities. And those activities, we can get all wrapped up in those things. But we're not actually doing it for the glory of God. We're just doing it for the glory of self. We're doing it to make us feel good. Maybe think because maybe some pride's involved there. But, but our enemy, or excuse me, activity can be the enemy of our adoration or worship. And this is good activities, sometimes bad activities. Um, we get confused too that, that maybe we are human, uh, rather that we have a misunderstanding that we are actually human beings, not human doings. We're human beings, not human doings. Another thing that I think gets in the way is our distractions often determine our ability to worship. So it's our distractions. And life is full of them. Um, the world is full of them. Your workplace is full of them. Your family is full of them. You're raising some of them. Like, I mean, it's in every aspect of life. Certain, there are some certain things that can be distractors. I mean, children are, are, are just a blessing from the Lord. Totally understand that. But yet, if we start to put all of our emphasis on them, we will start idolizing our children. And then they will shield us from and eclipse us from the true worship of God. They can be distractions. And those, those distractions often determine our true ability to worship. We get distracted by, by some bad practices. And we get distracted by some good practices. But it's so easy to get distracted and caught and get caught up in the monotony of the day to day. And miss um, the, the full reason why it is that Christians are still here on earth and doing what we're supposed to do. We, we're supposed to be sharing the good news of Jesus and living for the glory of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And our activity gets in the way of that. And there's some distractions that get in the way of that. The bottom line for this, I'm taking this or borrowing this from John Piper, um, great pastor and theologian and I don't know what all he is but he's good Um, he said this worship is a way of reflecting back the radiance of his worth so when we live a life of worship it's reflecting back the radiance of his worth so we're not just taking it to ourselves because then we'd be worshiping ourselves. but when we when we worship and you're going to see some private uh, things when it comes to private worship but then also public worship you're going to see this 
in this passage. But to, uh, to really add to this idea, I want to share with you from John 4, 23 and 24. This will be on the screen. You don't even uh, need to open your Bibles yet, but you're going to have to in just a moment. A conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. I think this is one of the most profound passages in all the scriptures. You see that Jesus is so compassionate with this woman, a woman who was lost, a woman who was curious, a woman who had obviously been around some of God's people because of something that she says in this passage. But the way Jesus handles the conversation with her is incredible. So a little bit further into this dialogue with the Samaritan woman, Jesus said this, Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We're going to camp out on spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. She was a Samaritan woman. They would have false gods. They would have idols. Uh, This was a brand new idea to her. When Jesus would say true worshipers, that had to have been something. We don't know this directly from the passage, but I'm just kind of um, from the storyline. I just try and put my own mental kind of way of understanding it. And I just think of probably what her face looked like when Jesus said true worshipers. She'd had to have been really, really confused because she had a certain way of doing religious activity, which was um, a false, it was false worship. It was wrong. And yet Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's, there's the true worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And then the woman replied, this is not on the screen. The woman replied, well, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. I, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So, so that's what Jesus says. He, he says, no, there's going to be some, there's some true worshipers and they're going to worship in spirit and truth. And she obviously had been around some of the people of God because she says, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that Christ is coming. The Greek word for Messiah. He says, I know that Messiah is coming. I know that. And Jesus says, no, no, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So if there's true worship, there has to be some false worship. And I want to go through um, some elements of false worship. Activity for God to appease God or to make God happy. This is false worship. I, I dare to say, but I tell you this in love, and I don't, I don't mean to speak down to you, but, but some of you perhaps, even today, have come into this place with some idea, well, if I just attend church, God's going God's to be happy with, with my, my conduct. He's going to be happy with me, my activity. And that if God's happy with me and he smiles down upon me, my life's going to be great. And then maybe even I'll get to heaven by the activities that I have. And that's just, that's just a, a matter of false worship. That's, that's a false worship and that's a glorifying of self ultimately. Sometimes our activity for God, to appease God, we think in this we say, well, I have to serve off my guilt debt. I have to work off my guilt debt. I have to attend church of, enough to get away from my, my sin debt. I need to give away enough money so, so that God will, will you know, shine his light upon me, so to speak, and my life will be right. Sometimes the false worship becomes the experience. And I don't remember who said this first, so I'm borrowing somebody's material, but it's so, so good. And it, it goes like this. A worship experience is not what we get, it's what we give. So worship experience is not what we get. It's not a matter of, well, I came in and I got the feels today. Woo, I was feeling it today. The spirit was alive today. 
It's not a matter of that. That's a false worship. That's worshiping the experience. And that's putting us as the centerpiece of our own affections. That's putting us as, as the, the very thing that we're seeking to glorify as our experience. So it's an experience when we gather together or maybe when you do the personal disciplines that we've been talking about. The spiritual formation. It's a matter of creating some, some habits in your life. Then to form some loves in your life. And then the things that you love are the things that you're going to worship. You may want to write that down because really that this, now this becomes really a kind of a lens to view all of the material that you have heard and experienced and even up to next week. So the first thing I said, uh, within spiritual formation and even the experience that I'm talking about right now, it's a matter of these habits. It's like a spiritual habit. And these spiritual habits then help form our loves, the thing that we love. Because I'm convinced the more time we spend in the Word of God, the more that we're going to love the Word of God. And the more time we, we have a habit of spending in the presence of God, the more that we're going to love the God of the story of the Word of God. And I also believe that once we get caught up in these spiritual habits, it's good because then it reforms our loves. And once those loves are reformed, then we're able to truly worship so all of, of the messages, and if you've missed them, you can catch up online or, or on podcast. but all of these things really go together. They're not separate. They're all together. So the experience, the worship experience, it's not what we give, get, it's what we give. So when we come into this place, it's not that, God, give me something, give me something, give me something. It's no, no, no. It's as John Piper said, we're reflecting back the glory of God. You come in here and we sing songs of praise back to God. We sit under the word of God and the teaching of the word of God to be in awe of the God that is to be the object of our worship. Amen. That's the point of, of our gatherings. It's not that we just have this, this experience, we get the feels, or we feel good, or we have this emotional response. That is a false worship. Also, in accordance, and I believe all these are in accordance with this passage of worshiping in, uh, in spirit and in truth. It's the truth that neglects the spirit. So it's the truth, it's the intellect. It's the intellect. So it's the truth without the spirit. You see, the, the truth is the intellectual side of it. And, and, and now a false worship is when we just kind of think that, well, my walk with God is a matter of filling my mind up. And I just fill it up and I fill it up and I fill it up. Problem is, 1 Corinthians says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just storing information in the vault of your mind. And when Jesus said in spirit and in truth, of course, there's the truth element. But it's, it's that the truth neglects the spirit. So it's the, the mind neglects the heart. Because the spirit of God then informs our soul, or informs our heart, the, the seating place of our soul, our decision making, our will, and our emotions. So we, we're, we become false worshipers when we just come into this place and we're just note takers and just like fill my mind. No, no, no. It's, it's more than that. It's more than just filling your mind. Because knowledge puffs up. But love Action builds up. Now, likewise, we're the spirit without the truth. So some of us, this is concentrating really on the emotional side of it. And this is what I think the modern day church gets wrong a lot. Perhaps I've gotten this wrong. Perhaps you have gotten this wrong. Where you come into, into worship gatherings like this and you say, and then, or rather you come in and then you leave and you're like, I just didn't get anything today. I don't know. It seemed like the Holy Spirit wasn't there. Check your theology. The Holy Spirit is here. If there is a Christian, 
here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. So that's not the problem. It isn't that the Holy Spirit just comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. I mean, how, how sporadic and how schizophrenic would that be if, if that's how the Spirit of God was? And that's not, that's not the, the Holy Spirit. That's not the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit resides in the heart of every believer. So, so sure, there is the emotional side, the, the will side of it, of course. But we can't have all of the emotional side and neglect the truth of God's word. If not, then we become so dominant on our emotions and we have no truth to ground us. Does that make sense so far? Then also the idea of self-righteousness. And this is something that that it would be very difficult for us to probably admit, but I think in, in every person has been guilty of this at one point or another. The idea where I come into this place and you treat your time with God like a spiritual scorecard. Like you treat your time with God like I made it into church. It was, it was the second time this year. Like, bro, it's July, you know? It's like I made it into church. Well, I, mean, I don't know what you want. Do you want a golf clap? Is that what, is that? I'll give it, or you want like a regular, you want to golf, I don't know what you want. It's like sometimes, but all of that, that worship then becomes a matter of self-righteousness. It's not glorifying to God. We're trying to glorify ourselves by our spiritual scorecard. How much money we give, how much we've attended, um, or even what we've done, how we've served, instead of, uh, of realizing that it's, it's in spirit and in truth that it's not just activity for God to, to make God happy. It's not a matter of just having this experience and making it about us. It's not a matter of having the truth without the spirit of the spirit without truth or a matter of self-righteousness. It's not a spiritual scorecard. Um, trust me, I don't believe God is really impressed on how well I've attended life, how well I've attended church over the course of my life. He desires my heart, not simply my attendance. So, uh, true worship is both in spirit and in truth. I know some of you like kind of definitive statements, so I'll give you one now. True worship is worship offered in and through Jesus Christ, only through the truth he embodies. So this is a matter of us. We have to dig into the word of God and see what it is. What was the life of Jesus like? What, is, what were the teachings of Jesus like? And, and we have to meet him there. We have to have a life that looks like Jesus's life, that we would become like Jesus. So true worship is, is worship offered in and through Jesus, only through the truth he embodies and the spirit he imparts can we know God and worship him. Outside of that, there is no uh, true worship. Now, I told you we were going to get into a place. I want you to flip your Bible open, and I wasn't kidding. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Uh, if you are uh, new to the faith or maybe just kind of get confused in settings like this and looking for things in your Bible, anybody ever get nervous thinking somebody's looking over your shoulder as you're trying to flip through? I'm like, where's Malachi? I is that even in the Bible? I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't want to go to the table of contents because somebody's next to me and they might judge me. Here, I want to help you with something. The Psalms, if you just literally go to the middle of your Bible and you flip it open, you most likely are either going to be in Psalms or Proverbs. If you're in Proverbs, just go to the left a little bit and you're actually going to be in Psalms. Psalms is actually the biggest uh, collection of writings in the Bible. It's a collection of songs. So you don't have to feel weird about that. And some of you have a device and you're like, you know what? I took care of that myself. So however you get there, I don't care how you do. I just want to help um, in, in that. So what we're going to see from this, and there's really four main ideas, 
And this really becomes the point of application and, I, and the point of application and also examination. So just inviting the Spirit of God to examine your life of these four main ideas that you see in this passage. And really what I've just called this little section, uh, if you're a note taker, is just the marks of a worshiper. I know, profound, right? The marks of a worshiper. So Psalm 84. We're actually going to go through uh, four verses And verse 1 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Psalm 84, verse 1. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. That was Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. Now, uh, before we jump into this and we talk about the examination part of this, I want to kind of tell you a story, um, and then it will lead into this. Several years ago, I was in high school, I had a stick shift, had 85 Chevette, Anybody else have a Chevette? Anybody else? No one else did. Good. I'm the only one who needs counseling. Perfect. Um, 85 Chevette, uh, stick shift, four speed, great sound system. Car was worth nothing. The sound system was worth a lot more than the car. You could hear me like two blocks away. I was that kid. Okay. So if you're like, who's he? Yeah, my pastor was that. That was me. I was that kid. So all part of, of this experience, I had this car. It was awesome. Um, driving to school, went to school one day. We're in the gym. I don't even know what we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. I know what I was doing, but probably not the right thing. So I was playing some football catch in the gym. Um, There are people kind of everywhere, and we're kind of just throwing the ball back and forth. And, you know, it's teenage boys. We're throwing it as hard as we can, trying to more so peg the person than actually have them catch the ball. So we're kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Somebody throws the ball to me, and as they throw the ball to me, I mean, I go all out for this thing. This is in the gymnasium, in the extra gymnasium. I go all out for this thing. So I, I dive for it in the gymnasium. There's people everywhere. And as I dive for it, I jump. I caught it, by the way, just in case you wondered. I caught it. I, I, I went all in for this catch. I went and, and I caught the ball, but I did like a human pogo stick on this shoulder in my head. And I knew there was a problem when I got up and I looked like this. I just, I knew that there was just something not right about that. And and my shoulder was just obviously just killing me. And my mind is just kind of going through. I'm like, is like, I could tell that it was broken, but I knew that I couldn't do anything about it. And I was hoping that somebody else could. My mind's kind of racing. I'm like, I have a four speed. Like, I I couldn't even move. My arm was like just so dead and limp. So then I eventually go to the emergency, you know, go to the emergency room and, you know, the x-ray tech or whoever it is, they're like kind of give me all these instructions. And you know how it is when you get an x-ray. If you've who's had an x-ray, anyone? Thank you. Just about everyone. You you go to get an x-ray. The room is like so frigidly cold and you go in there. And of course I had to take my shirt off. So it's like this metal thing. I couldn't tell if it was a morgue or an X place to get an x-ray. So I'm like laying there and they're trying to do an x-ray to see if it's broken. I'm like, bro, seriously. I mean, let me just spare myself and my, my parents the money here. Like this is broken. There's obviously a problem. So, so they put me down on this, this 
metal, cold slab of metal. And they're like contorting me and moving me around. And it's like, got to get the right angle. And you know how it is. And it's so uncomfortable. And all of that was just like this horrendous experience. But what the x-ray tech was trying to do is trying to examine everything as best as they could to try and see where the problem was and what they could do about it. When you look at this passage in the four elements that I'm going to bring out, there's going to be a level of this that's going to be uncomfortable. And I think it's okay for us to sit over the word of God and to find some correction, maybe some rebuking, and understand that we are to be trained in righteousness. So there's some things that we're probably doing that we ought not to do. There's some things that, that there's some habits that we have that need to be uh, brought back and not glorify ourselves, but glorify God. There are some loves that we have that are so far against God that, that it's like in this moment that it's going to become really, really tense and difficult for you. And I think it's okay. Just as it was difficult for me to sit there and to be able to endure the examination, I think when God's word examines us by the power of the Holy Spirit, I think something great can become of us. So now let's go back through this. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. First thing we see here is there's an attraction. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Like there's, you should just have a natural attraction to be with the people of God. It should just be so part of your faith experience that you're just attracted to the community of believers. And if you're not attracted to those things, there's something that you need to either train yourself to do or train yourself not to do. There's a habit that you have that probably needs to be done away with. There's a love that you have that's not resting in in Jesus at all. It's resting in your wants and your likes and your desires. Are you attracted to the community of believers gathered together? Are you attracted to that? See, that's what the psalmist says. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, how lovely. He's just talking about, he's like, this is just so attracting, your dwelling place. Of course, it's, there's a, a corporate or public side of this, but also it's a personal side of this. We should be attracted to times spent over the word of God, where it's just us and the Bible and a journal and a pen. We should be attracted to those things. This should be something that that we desire, not something that we just feel like, oh, well, I've got to do this. No, 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 we're to be worshipers in spirit and truth. And we need to have our habits reformed. We need a reshaping of our love so that we can really glorify God and so that we can worship him truly. Is there an attraction in you to, to gather in places like this? If so, is your attraction that it would just be about you, that it would be something that you would receive, or it's just something like, I need something, I need something, I need something. Because when we gather here, or when you sit alone and you have a prayer time, your time in the Word of God, you have open confession, you just decide ahead of time that you're going to have a life of simplicity. What you're deciding is, The life with God is more attractive than a life in the world. That a life devoted to God is more attractive than a life devoted to the world and the worldly practices. Second thing, verse 2. Let's go back through that. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Second thing here is ambition. Ambition. This is desire this is desire look look at what the psalmist says he says my soul 
yearns, and it it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. There's such a, a desperation and such a desire there. You see, if somebody has a life, it's just, it's just this ambition to live in the glory of God, to live for the glory of God, and live in true worship of God, I, I don't have to convince you to, to do these practices. I don't have to convince you of, of what spiritual formation can do in your life. I don't have to, to try and even really encourage you or even to rebuke you through the word of God. I don't have to do those things because if you have a desire within you, you, the spirit of God is, is informing you and he's creating a desire for you to know more about God and for you to live a life like his, like the, living a life like, like Jesus's life here on earth ambition is there an attraction in your life what the things what the habits that you have the the loves that are formed from it and then the worship that comes through it but also the seed of desire with ambition um this little phrase really it, it connects these two ideas with ambition and where i'm going next my hope and my desire is this that the, that we would let the flames of the love of god burn on the altar of a true worshiper's heart we would just let the, the flames of the love of God, that we would just be dying to self on the altar of our love of God. And that would be our worship. That every day we would wake up anew. That we would wake up and say, God, how can I worship you and glorify you today? God, how can I, how can I spend this day, not on my own wants and desires, but how can I spend this day glorifying you? How can, I, how can I just exhaust myself all day long to show this world that I'm a true worshiper, that I'm, I'm growing in my love for you, God, and I'm growing my love for other people. Let the flames of the love of God burn on the altar of a true worshiper's heart. The third thing, all of these begin with A, by the way. Third one is attitude, attitude. This is a breakdown for a lot of people. But if you look at verse three, it says, even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. So there's, there's an attitude. There's, there's just this attitude that longs to be closer to God. It's an attitude that wants to see the glory of God manifested in in their life. It's the attitude that longs for an experience in the presence of God that goes beyond these public gatherings, that goes beyond these, that understanding that, that all of these things, we can have uh, just times of glorifying God, experiences with God to seek to glorify God privately, not only publicly, that when we actually read our Bible, that God is most glorified when we do so. When we live a life that's committed to him, then it's true worship. Verse four, we're gonna see the last one. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And with this, I want to just say this is abiding. I mentioned this last week. See this in John 15. The remain in me as I remain in you. And Jesus says, as I remain in the Father and the Father remains in me. 
And some translations say abide. So this is abiding or remaining with God. The, the psalmist says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. You see, if you're dwelling in the house of God, it means you're not dabbling in the house of God. Well, I'm just, I'm just here and I'm there and I'm here and I'm there. And I have a, if I have something better to do, then I'm going to be there. But I'm just going to dabble here. And I, I got to go to the beach here. And I've got to go to the lake here. And I want to go to the mall here. And I got to go to Savannah here. And I got to go to Macon here. Got to have that Atlanta trip here. And I've got to do this or I've got to go to work. And doing all of that, it's not a matter of, of, of just Dabbling, dabbling in our experiences with God. You see, if we're dabbling with our experiences of God, we allow everything else to take precedence over our time with God. We're not abiding like we ought to. Dabbling is in opposition to dwelling. This is what 1 Timothy 4.13 says. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy saying these words. I'm going to read to you first what he says before this. Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. So in accordance with the word of God, the word that was passed through the Holy Spirit to Paul, to Timothy, now to us as believers today, that I am commanding and teaching these things to you in accordance with what it says on the screen, that we ought to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture and to preaching and to teaching, to devote ourselves. This sounds like dwelling, doesn't it? This is not dabbling. Well, I've got something better to do, so I'm gonna do that. Oh, I don't have anything planned this weekend. I think I'll go to church. It's not dabbling, it's dwelling. And now what it says in 1 Timothy 4.13, it's a matter of devoting yourself. This is action, devoting yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Guess where that is? That's right here, our time of corporate worship. Devoting our time to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, I'm going to wrap this up, but I want to just kind of let you know where I got the word habit from. You see, true worship is a practice. True worship is a practice. Several years ago, I decided that I wanted to try and, and learn how to play golf. And I went and got some used golf clubs. And I, I mean, I really made a 40 handicap look good. And I'm pretty sure that I didn't just have a 40 handicap. I had more than that because I actually cheated to get the 40 handicap. So I was, I was that guy. I uh, just not good at golf, still not good at golf. But one thing that I understood was if I was ever going to get better at golf, it wasn't just a matter of having the clubs or even going to the golf course. I had to, I had to kind of commit myself to the process. I understand, had to understand. I had to kind of engulf myself in it. So I started watching the golf channel and it actually become, it became fun after a while. You know, and I'm looking at it, I'm trying to figure out the game. I started watching instructional videos. I bought magazines. I watched other people swing. I got advice from other people. It took practice to then be able to go in and create some habits. And then those habits became my swing. And I went from a 40 handicap and I landed about a 30. So that's about as good as I have really got. But uh, it didn't do a whole lot. I didn't devote as much time as I should have to it. 
But true worship is also a practice. So I don't want you just to feel bad and all those four things that I just told you about. And then I wanted and just we just invited the spirit of God to examine us, even as difficult as those are. I don't want to make you feel bad about that. I want you to know that it's it's practice. It's a matter of forming habits. As a matter of fact, that's what it says in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They're in the habit of doing. Because the habits that we have form our loves and then the loves then become the objects of our worship. He says, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It's a matter of forming habits. We cannot expect our worship to burn brightly in public when our worship shines dimly in private. We just can't. You're never going to be able to come into and have just the powerful the time with God corporately if you're not having time with God outside of these walls. It's just not going to happen. And really, bottom line is this, when it comes to when it comes to, to worship totally, the more that we truly worship Jesus, the more that we're going to look like him. The more that we, we truly worship Jesus, the more that we're truly going to look like him. So that's what we've, we've talked about with spiritual formation. We're talking about reshaping our habits, reforming some, some of our loves, because then they become the, the, the vehicle of our worship and the object of I worship. So, another summary statement, then I'm through. Public and private worship is the way of reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. The reason why Christians are so misunderstood is because we're to be living for the glory of God. And when a Christian lives for the glory of God, it will live in opposition to the world. They're viewing their whole life from two different vantage points. It's a way of understanding. It's the way of viewing the world and all the activities in the world. The, the reason why that, that we need times of corporate worship, public worship, is to help us all, as we need one another, to help examine our habits because those habits then create loves. And the things that we love are the things that we tend to to worship. So when we gather together or you, you sit alone and you have time of prayer, you're worshiping. When you open the word of God, you do a devotion, you meditate on scripture, you decide that you're gonna live a life of simplicity, you have open confession before God, you decide that you're going to serve others and not yourself. What you're doing is, I am deciding to train myself for godliness. I'm renouncing ungodliness because I know that there's habits that I can form that creates that will create the loves that I have that then will become the object of my worship. I want to pray for us and then we'll be through. Heavenly Father, I just I thank you that that the word of God is true. I thank you God that that it is true that it is better to have one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I thank you, God, that it's true that, that it's 
that it's better to just be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I thank you, Lord Jesus, and I just, I worship you and I reflect back the radiance of your glory, God, in worship to you, that you are the Lord God and that you are a son and you're a shield and you bestow favor and honor. And I honor you, Jesus, because no good thing is withheld from you for those whose walk is blameless before you. Oh, Lord Almighty, I pray to you. And I just know that every man is blessed when they trust in you. As we trust 